This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Fist bump. I moved that camera back. So now you're harder to reach, but I still got there. Now today we want to talk about don't fake it, make it, don't fake it, which is very interesting to me of a concept because how often are people just trying to grow into it? Or I don't know if that's the same thing or not. We will ask the author, Sabrina Horn. She wrote this book. I really appreciate her for sending me a copy. I really definitely enjoyed it. And it was very eye-opening because you know what? Sometimes it feels like I am faking my way through being a podcast host. I'm faking my way through, I don't know, being a gym rat. Go every day. Doesn't feel like I, I, I've made that either. So I want to find out why am I faking it? Should I change? What does it mean? Why do we care? Let's get her on the show here and find out. Sabrina, tell us. <laughs> Am I faking my way through podcasting or what's going on? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. You, you've you got to figure that out. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I mean, I don't think you're faking it. There's a broad spectrum of faking it. And in my book, I wrote um, about, I created this sort of graphic, right? That's a continuum. I call it the fakeometer. And it's all the ways that people can fake it from what's actually really innocent, like where, you know, maybe you're a little nervous or you um, have maybe a confidence issue. And so you're acting as if um, trying to emulate the behaviors that you really want to exude. Um, but but the, the bad kind of faking it is, is when you cross the line and there is an intent to deceive, right? It's when you're exaggerating the truth or doing and saying things at other people's expense for personal gain. Um, that's when you cross the line. And there's many examples in everyday life of, of how we do that. And we don't even we don't even know we're doing it. We don't even think about it because it's so ingrained. And I think a lot of people have heard that phrase so many times, right? Just fake it until you make it. Um, so this so give me an example of when would a company be doing the bad kind of faking. So do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. what's an example? Yeah, well, the most common examples are um, lying on your resume. I mean, that's not a company. It's so like if you're a person you're interviewing for a job, you could be just starting out in your career or you could be an executive and you lie about your education or the job that you had or you lie in an interview um, other examples are, say you're an entrepreneur or CEO and you're looking for funding and maybe you over-exaggerate or kind of lie about what your technology can do to convince investors to, to go with you, right? Or, or you're a sales executive and you got to make your number and so you over-promise 
what your product can do to, to customers. I mean, those are very common examples. Unfortunately, the issue is always that the truth comes out, right? The investor will do his due diligence. The customer will realize that you were fibbing about what your product can do and will post all over social media that, um, that you lied, right? And the employer will fact check uh, your credentials. Now that's, that's one scenario, but then the other big example we have that's, that's rather current is um, Elizabeth Holmes, the former CEO of Theranos who's on trial. And I know I'm kind of paying attention to that, but give us a little bit of an overview of why, how that's an example. What's that case about and how does that fit here? Well, okay. So that's like total outright fraud and deception, right? Where you are essentially lying to your investors who've given you what, $900 million or thereabouts Mm -hmm. um, to develop a product that can essentially, it was a machine that would, with a prick of a finger and one drop of blood, be able to determine your blood type, determine an illness that you might have. And, and she, she signed her company signed huge agreements with the likes of Walgreens and, and other organizations. Um, but actually the, the product never worked. And um, I mean, it was a total sham. So um, lies beget lies beget lies right. And now like, this is an extreme case. She's facing jail time. Another more recent example, you may recall Bernie Madoff, the, the financier, the Ponzi scheme artist who presumably stole what, like six, eight, $8 billion of, of, of consumer money in his, in his scheme. And he's since passed on in, in prison. Right. But that, those are extreme examples. But what happens is when you fake it, you think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, just do it this once and we'll just get to the next step. Right. But then then you realize, well, you know, I'll just do it again. And if you pull it off and you pull it off, then it eats away at you and you ultimately become, you know, a faker. You become the person that you don't really want to be and it catches up with you. What's so interesting about that, too, is, I mean, certainly, um, I was kind of kidding earlier, you know, I'm faking to be a podcast host after 450 episodes. I don't think I'm faking it at all, but there's always new things that I can learn, right? There's always something, the technology changes, technology rolls out something new, how people listen to podcasts, how people watch podcasts, all this stuff changes. I mean, had you asked me two years ago, do you think your podcast will ever be on TV? I would have been like, that's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not a thing. So it's just interesting. Now, when you look at the fake comet, fake meter, and I got it right here because I got your book. You're probably not going to be able to see that on the mm-hmm. camera. But when you talk about useful and harmless lies, you know, acting as if self-defense, mm-hmm. um, some of these things, like, I think there's no argument at all when you talk about total fabrication and deception, you know, some of those things. But the other stuff, some of that way to the left, I should go way to the left, that, you know, picture where I am here. Like some of that is just marketing, right? Like personal, if I wouldn't say personal, what's the difference between a personal impression lie and me only telling you the good thing as opposed to the bad thing? Well, so 
a couple couple things here. First of all, integrity and being authentic is kind of like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. And so what you think is authentic, I may not agree with, right? And vice versa. So you and and all none of us is lily white. Like we've all faked it a little bit here and there at some point in our lives. Um quite quite often. And you have to decide for yourself within the boundaries of what is really the truth, how far you want to take that. And, you know, the goal is to be our best selves in life, right? And when you put your head down on the pillow at night, you you think that you did right by everybody and you led by example and, you know, you're being your best self, as I said. Now, okay, if a personal impression lie, here's an example of how I faked it. When I was a younger woman and I was just trying to impress my date, I totally lied about the fact that I could like ski downhill from an Olympic mountain like a double black diamond because I figured, well, you know, I can get down anything and I skied on ice and, you know, on the East Coast. Why not? And I thought I was going to die when I got on the top of that mountain. Um, And, you know, of course, I totally embarrassed myself and I never saw the guy again. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, you know, is that a, is that a really bad lie? No, like I did it to myself, but if you are literally trying to fool or trick someone in business to do business with you, whether it's to buy your product or invest in your company and you're stretching the truth and distorting the facts or leaving out certain facts, like that's not cool. You can't run a business successfully for a long period of time and build a great authentic brand that people will trust. If you fake it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And certainly you never saw the guy again. I remember the the example in your book, (laughs) but it's about the relationship, right? Because you are never going to see him again. And if you ever see him again down the road, whatever years later, there's some, I mean, damage control that has to happen. For any yeah, relationship and, and forward, he, right? right well exactly any relationship whether it's business or personal like you know he probably told all of his friends what an idiot i was too right so it's not just him it's all of his friends that that then found out that you know this crazy girl sabrina horn like totally lied about her being able to ski and um i mean i felt like an idiot and I did it to, to, to myself. So it's not just like the relationship between me and the other person. It's the whole ecosystem like around, around that relationship. Yeah, very, very interesting. So I know we jumped right in here. Uh, tell us about yourself. Why did you write the book? And I mean, other than people can click on the link in the show notes. Tell, sure. I mean, tell us who you are. Yeah, sure. So I'm a, thanks. I'm a career public relations, communications person. Uh, I focused my entire career in the technology industry in Silicon Valley and other tech hubs uh, uh, around the U.S. Um, At the age of 29, I started my own company, a PR agency. And um, I had like no leadership experience, no business really management experience. I probably managed an intern And so I I saw a lot of fakery in Silicon Valley and certainly in in public relations. There's always an opportunity for spin, right? But 
and I made a lot of mistakes as a, as a young CEO with, with no leadership experience. I like had to learn it all on the fly, on the job. And so I wrote this book um, because I think in the last five to 10 years, a lot of people have forgotten about the fact that integrity in business and in relationships matters. And uh, I wanted to put a pin in this notion that you can achieve success by faking it. Like there's everything is wrong with that. And we have to get back to leading with authenticity, with taking perhaps the harder path, um, which is, but still is the right path and, and doing things honestly and, and with integrity. So I use my, my career and all my mistakes as, as the examples uh, for when things went uh, wrong um, and then, you know, how to, how to avoid that trap and, and lead differently. Very interesting. And when you mentioned um, PR, you know, the thing mm-hmm. that came to my mind, what actually I think fits pretty nicely here is um, I, I've worked with teams before. The, you know, the media comes calling for some reason or another, and then they say, what's our story? We need to have a committee meeting to figure out our story, which in my opinion is exactly a sign that you're about to lie. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, if I had a nickel for every time somebody came to us and said, you know, give us our story. Right. Or, or um, in other situations, like, can can you just make this problem go away? (laughs) Right. Or, or make us larger than life, like make us a hot company to watch. And, you know, it's like, that's not really what we do. It's, it's, um, it's not about spin. It's actually about um, getting to the truth and finding what's most compelling about it. Um, and then create, and yes, writing a story about that, but it's not fiction, right? It's, it's about what is the problem that you're solving? What's the value that you're providing? Why should anybody care? Right. And and then putting that story out in into into the world. Yeah, don't get me started on the whole spinning stories thing. What's our spin? What's our story? Yeah, let's let's move on from that rabbit hole. So becoming so it's really about becoming and staying an authentic brand. Right. But but how do how do companies do that? How do we get there? Right. Well, there's I mean, you could have like hundreds of podcasts and shows just about that. Um, and I devoted only one chapter to that huge topic in the book, but um, I'll kind of boil it down to this. It comes down, I believe, to core values and and identifying who you are as a company and what you stand for and what you don't stand for are really essential things to creating what ultimately becomes your brand. And it starts with seriously sitting down early, not this isn't something that you can do like a couple years into being a company or, you know, get somebody to tell you what it is for you. It doesn't work that way. It has to be, again, using the word authentic and figure out, you know, what those values are and literally infusing every aspect of your culture, like how you treat each other your policies, what you celebrate, your traditions, um, and and then extrapolating out from that, how those values infuse every business process you have, right? From how you talk to customers, how you resolve their problems, 
um, how you speak to them, the language that you use, uh, how prompt you are with your responses, you know, you, in every function of your business, HR, manufacturing, quality control, and, and most, of course, especially your, your executive leadership team and how you communicate with the outside world to your shareholders. And all of that, right, consistently enacted becomes this, the halo effect that is your, that is your brand. And that's what the outside world comes to know about you. It's your reputation. It's what they can count on you for. And as your business grows, right, as things don't stand still in time, right? Competition's constantly changing. The market's changing. Customers want different things. And so that's, that's why maintaining an authentic brand is so hard because because you can you can create that, but you have to evolve it very carefully over time to, in response to and in anticipation of these changes. Well, and of course, I mean, evolving is interesting too, because sometimes we change our opinions, and I certainly have changed mine over the years. Mm -hmm. And since I share them publicly, you know, sometimes people will come back and say, "Well, you said this eight right. years ago," and I'm like, "Well, different facts." I mean, for example, I used to say. You should not use stock images on your on your blog. And you know what? It was in reaction to everybody using the picture of the same blonde woman on their blog. Like, stop it. But today, I think people, it's fine to use stock images, honestly, as long as you use them as a base. You update them. Right. You, you know, you make them look a little bit different. So my right. opinion changes. But we do certainly have a segment of the population that will go back and find the stuff that we have said before and try to hold it over your head. Now, right. you talk about leaders a lot. And is this like, I mean, you have a whole chapter on how, this, you know, get used to being lonely as the CEO. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why, why is that important in this context? Yeah. So I, um, as a CEO myself, I ran my business for 24 years and I really struggled with being alone and feeling lonely sometimes. And it is a, a common saying, right? It's lonely at the top. And why, why is that? And um, I, I didn't think that anybody had ever written about that. And I, I thought it was important because it, it can lead you to faking it. It can lead you to losing your confidence and so I can give you an example here. Like if you're a leader and you're the CEO, by definition, there's only one of you, right? There's no other CEO mm -hmm. down the hall. In some companies, maybe there is, but it's the exception to the rule. And so there's nobody who's your peer who you can talk to about the problems that you're dealing with. And, you know, the buck stops with you. And sometimes the situations and the challenges that you're dealing with are are absolutely of the most critical nature. Um, and that's, that's heavy, right? And for the privilege of being in that chair, you have to be able to deal with that. But what do you do when you don't have anybody to talk to? You can't let your hair down in front of your employees, even in your leadership team to a certain extent, right? You, you have to hold it together for them as well. And so it's super important as leaders not just if you're in the top seat, but, you know, if you're just moving your way up the management ranks um, 
to, to the next level. That can be lonely too, because people don't understand what you're dealing with. So you have to build a network of people who are personal advisors, mentors. I mean, I'm a huge believer in, in making sure that you have at least two or three mentors who you can just literally spill your guts to <laughs> and uh, that you can speak to about the, about the most uh, critical matters, right? And these are people who um, want you to succeed, who've been in your shoes and who will give it to you straight. Um, they'll tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Um, I also think that simple acts of gratitude, of expressing thanks, um, of of um, doing positive things for others, is very fulfilling and and kind of breaks that that lonely bubble um, that can that can um, actually cause depression and. Um, can make you feel so isolated to the point where you can't make a decision and um, it can, it can bring a leader down. So I, I felt that that was a very important um, chapter to put in the book. Um, so when we talk about um, making it, not faking it, I mean, partially it's people, partially it's a company as a whole, right? <laughs> Um, how in a company though, I mean, you need the right culture, right? I mean, are we talking about companies too, too? I mean, companies should be, I mean, when you have somebody come to you and say, um, what's our spin or the example I gave earlier, I know those are people, but ultimately it's the company, right? That's being looked at publicly. Um, how does that concept apply to companies as a whole? Well, so I, it's an excellent question, right? Um, ultimately, it all comes from the top. And you have to make a commitment to what kind of company you want to be and what you're going to stand for and what you'll tolerate and what you will not tolerate. Um, there's a saying, I think, on Wall Street. I love this saying. It's that the fish stinks from the head down, right? It comes from the top. So, so right, if... It's, it's again, for the privilege of being a leader, wh whether you're at the top or in middle management, right? You have to be relentless. It's a tireless exercise to, to check on those sorts of behaviors where, you know, in the elevator, somebody's making a, uh, an off-collar joke or um, and then and things aren't being followed up on, right? These are like little mini crises that's like, ha ha, that was so funny, but actually somebody was, was hurt by that. And when you don't follow up on it, guess what? That one little 30 second ha ha becomes a, your next crisis. And, and then it taints your culture and then people talk about it and it brings the company down. Um, and of course the bigger a company is right. The more complicated that gets. So um, it, it's a commitment to paying attention to, to that you can't just say you want to be that you have to work on it every day and build a, a leadership team and a management team of people who subscribe to that and will help you achieve that if that makes sense i think leader it totally does make sense it's also interesting how leadership changes anyways right i mean back in the day and i think we're still recovering from this uh, a little bit is, you know, it, it's command and control, right? Do as I, do as you're told or whatever. And today stuff changes so, so often, even 
when people are not doing it, they should be doing it, right? They should be collaborative leaders. They should figure out how do we work together? How do we empower people to do things? Um, I know you talk about leadership for the most part in the book, but what can, let's say, I don't want to say entry-level employees, but but let's say, and I mean, I remember when I was an entry-level employees and I was trying to move into management and or whatever, you know, and and people would say, well, how is that possible? You you haven't you don't have any management experience. How can you be a manager? Well, you have to get the experience at some point. How are you going to be a podcast host? At some point, you got to go put the mic in front of you and go live and or, or record it at least. How if if people can't fake it or they shouldn't? And I'm in agreement with you. But how do they learn the skills to be able to make it? Like in the last couple minutes here or so. Right. Yeah. Sure. No. I mean, so two things. First of all. It's okay to not have all the answers, whether you're just starting out, certainly you don't have all the answers, or if you're uh, an experienced executive, it's okay to say, you know, hey, that's a really good idea. I've never heard of that before. Tell me more. Or to say, like, I've never heard that, or I've made a mistake. You know, let's figure out how we can fix it. The the second thing that you can do here is, um, is to really take stock of not just what you've done, in your career going into your first job or your second job. It's not what you did, right? It's not the specific thing. It's the value that you created out of that. It's outcomes versus outputs and creating stories about, about those scenarios, right? That will, will with passion, will help you stand out in those conversations when you're looking for a job. Absolutely. Very interesting. And sometimes it's also the the language. You know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. different people use different, use the same words for the same thing. Right. So, for example, uh, there was a there was a time way back when when people says, well, Christoph, you don't have any B2B marketing experience. Well, I did. I just didn't think of it that way. Do you know what I mean? I know that sounds kind of silly that you missed it. Or people say we well, want to do this or digital marketing or some other thing. And you just you're using the wrong terminology. For example, digital. I don't do digital marketing at all. And here's the reason why, because, you know, most people use the term digital marketing and they mean digital ad campaigns for the most part. Not always. So you got to think about that, too. How do you I don't want to say spin your story, but how do you highlight what you've already done in a true way? Yes. I, I mean, I would say like. A great piece of advice I once got that I would share here is practice what you want to say and how you want to portray yourself and record it and play it back. Like do a Zoom recording of yourself, <laughs> literally. And is that really how you want to come across? Are you being precise and specific enough in your language to correctly portray what you're doing? And is there a different way you can say that? Or just to come across as more passionate about it, right? If I don't come across as excited, then why should anybody else be? So there are that, you know, there's a lot about delivery on that. It's very true. And that's one reason why we love live streaming, why we live, love going on camera. Check out Sabrina's book, make it, don't fake it. It will highly recommend it. Thank you so much. It's really appreciated. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you.
Until next time, let the best stories win.